0: everyone. Welcome to the CSPI podcast. Um, we're trying something new here. We're going to be recording these uh, uh, conversations because some of you apparently li- like to see our faces while we're talking. So on YouTube, you will be seeing our faces and on the podcast, it'll basically look normal. I'm here today with uh, Philippe Lemoine, uh, one of our research fellows. Uh, Philippe, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. Yeah, so we're here to talk about your new uh blog post, which has been getting a lot of attention. I saw Andrew uh, Gelman, the famous statistician, uh, talking about it uh, uh, this morning. And so it's called "Have we been Have we been thinking about the pandemic wrong? The effect of population structure on transmission. What's the What's the problem here with uh, how epidemiologists have been thinking about the pandemic? And And what are you What are you trying to explain that they've That uh, what do you think explains it better?
1: So I I, I Start from uh, you know standard basic standard epidemiological models, and I, I explain how they work basically. And 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 you know those models they predict that epidemics should behave in a certain way. You know roughly, uh, you get exponential growth at first, like a lot of people get an increasingly high number of people get infected uh, mm-hmm. until eventually you hit what what people call the uh, herd immunity threshold, which is the point at which enough people have been infected that um, when someone who is infectious is like, you know, having contact with random people um, and are potentially infecting them, most of the, pe- or, you know, um, most of the people that he's having contacts with, that he's interacting with, that he might otherwise infect have already been infected, so they're immune. They can't be infected anymore. At least that, that's the, how the model works. And, and, and so, you know, it doesn't transmit as well. It starts going down, you know, like each person who has been infected only inf- infects less than one person on average because of that. And at this point, you know, uh, the daily number of infections start going down and, you know, eventually after a while, the, the epidemic just dies down. And this is how, you know, this is the standard model of how this is, you know, you, you have like some, um, you you can make some little changes here and there in the model, but, but, but you know it, it has this basic it's supposed to have this basic behavior. Now, of course, you know this is what happens, what the model predicts when behavior doesn't change. So people, you know, there is no lockdown or people don't voluntarily change their behavior, stop seeing their friends or whatever because they're scared, you know, they don't want to to be infected or infect other people. Um, now, if you add to this model, some behavior will change. So you, you assume, for instance, there's like a lockdown at some point. And, you know, and you assume the lockdown is very effective, which, of course, is, you know, it's another story, but uh, I don't believe that's really true. But, uh, you know, suppose it is suppose it is true. Uh, and if you use the same model and it does that, uh, it's going to, you, you won't get the same behavior because before you can reach herd immunity, the, the lockdown is going to cut tr- uh, the contact rate, you know, so people won't be having as many contacts as before. And so they won't be infecting when they're infectious. They won't be infecting as many people as before. They will be infecting on average, if it works well enough, you know, less than one person. And so the epidemic will also go down as if we'd reached the herd immunity threshold, but we haven't. So what this means is that in those models, if you lift the the lockdown and people resume their prior behavior, you know, they start seeing their friends again and whatever, uh, the incidence, you know, the daily number of infection, that's what incidence, it's called incidence, um, that's what it is, uh, is going to start blowing up again. You know, you're going to get like exponential, or quasi-exponential growth again. And, you know, and you're just, you, you've basically just delayed what, what would have happened. Otherwise, you know, it's going to keep growing until you reach the herd immunity threshold at which point it's going to, at which point it's going to go down and like, uh, you know, until it just uh, dies. and And so, you know, the, the idea was that ultimately behavior is a key variable here. It's the variable that determines how many people each infectious individual is going to infect. And so, you know, whether the behavior changes because of government interventions, you know, like in France, we were under uh, a lockdown or a curfew. So, you know, after a certain hour, if you were outside, you you were fine and that sort of thing. That's one way you can change behavior. Like I said, you know, people uh, can and indeed have change their behavior voluntarily. So, you know, even in the absence of government interventions, people are scared and don't want to infect their friends or be infected. So they just don't see, they don't do the same thing as before. And it can like reduce the, um, it can reduce the the, the number of people that each infectious person infects on average. But, you know, uh, the key variable in the, in the standard paradigm is supposed to be behavior. And, you know, there can be some other things like, Uh, meteorological variables um, also matter you know there are a number of papers that have looked at this and they do find an association between um, you know transmission and like the effective reproduction number of of the epidemic which is basically the average number of people that each infected person infect in turn and and, you know various meteorological variables So, so there's an association I'm not denying that you know but just like it's not very strong and it, and what's really weird when you look at the data, so that's what I do in the one, one of the thing, uh, one of the things I do in the post. At first, after I've explained how an epidemic was supposed to be to behave, you know, according to the standard models, I look at the real data, and, and um, what you see is that you, you often have like large fluctuations. Uh, and sometimes you, I mean, sometimes like especially during the first wave. You can see Mm. if you look at mobility data, which is the proxy we use for behavior. You look at at mobility data. You see a sharp drop, sharp and sudden drop in mobility, which indicates that suddenly you know people are really scared, so they change their behavior. And this Mm. was accompanied by um, a a reduction, a, a massive reduction in transmission. Uh, and this was true in Sweden where there was no lockdown, it was true in other places. Mobility data is from
0: Google, right? So I mean it's it's from Yeah, yeah Google, way, we kinda, have similar yeah.
1: data from Apple. Uh we have we have also similar data from vendors that, that sell data but like uh, bar and restaurant frequentation, that sort of thing. And also the same thing, you So yeah, yeah. there are certainly cases where when there is a huge you you have a, a huge drop in um in mobility and that's Followed uh, by a huge drop in transmission, and so the mm-hmm. standard theory looks like it it works fine on this. But if you look at all of that, especially after the second, after the first wave, what you see that there are many instances where there are large fluctuations of the effective reproduction number, mm. but they don't seem to be explained at all. you know they're not associated with any obvious uh, change in behavior. So if you you know one example I picked, but really there are, there are many you know uh, is Florida last summer? where yeah. you know it's just like uh, there was a huge wave and then it went down but it if you look at mobility data it doesn't look like people really change their behavior yeah. they, they so, didn't change their behavior a lot during the first wave but uh, yeah, the snapshot so look- of
0: this is basically the mystery is the, uh, behavior stays the same but yeah. incidence goes up and incidence goes down and it doesn't appear obviously uh, Yeah yeah uh, ex-
1: exactly. exactly you know you have the, so that's kind of like the the the, the mystery uh I'm trying to solve here is that you have exactly as you say, you know, you have you have huge variation in uh uh in the epidemic curve, you know, it goes up and down, even when behavior, as far as we can tell, is like really not changing. And so this seems to contradict the standard models where behavior is supposed to be the key variable. And, and you know, like I said, there are, of course everybody acknowledges that there are potentially there are other factors like methodological variables but this is the same thing like sometimes you 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 see like very sudden uh changes in um in uh you know in the effective reproduction number which governs the dynamic or summarizes the dynamic of the of the epidemic but they're not associated with like any obvious you know change in the weather that we can that we can identify and besides, Mm. you know those meteorological variables, as I note in the post to the extent that they matter they, they have both a direct and an indirect effect on, on transmission. They have a direct effect because you know the uh, the biological transmission mechanism is is maybe directly affected by stuff like temperature and humidity because of the biophysics you know of the mm. of the 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 virus and how it's you know uh, enters cells and that sort of things or you know to, uh, stays in the environment or not this sort of thing. And, and you know that's certainly that this probably exists, uh but you also have an indirect effect, and this indirect effect that's the effect that the weather has on people people's behavior so if you don't see any change in behavior, you know the like the all that indirect effect of uh of the weather in other words of meteorological variables, it's already factored in behavior you know because it's like people are gonna go out more and like maybe it's trans the virus won't be transmitted as much because it doesn't work very well transmission outside outdoors. Right. Uh, you know so my point is yeah that's that's the basic puzzle here you see and, and i'll explain why it's really a puzzle it's like it's not just that you know uh standard models make you know according to standard models uh uh behavior is really the key variable and yet sometimes often we see those large fluctuation of the effective reproduction number that are not associated with any uh change in behavior that we can see at least and and you know well, the reason why it's really a puzzle is that, like, the, I say, you know, this is the assumption that standard models make, but it's it's obviously not crazy. In fact, it's the opposite of crazy. You know, this is a respiratory virus. It, it, it's transmitted because people get in close proximity to each other, mm. and, you know, and they nail, like, particles, like small aerosols or droplets uh, that are being shed by uh, someone who is infectious, is currently infected, and, like, shedding viruses, and... And that's how it's, you know, we, we know this, you know, there are many things we don't know, but we know that the basic mechanics of basic mechanism of transmission is that, you know, it's people getting close proximity to each other. And so it's, it seems obvious that behavior should be the, the dominant factor here. So it's really weird, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't, you don't see this, that there's this decoupling between behavior and, and, and transmission. And given right. what we know about the basic transmission mechanism, it's, it's really weird, you know. So how can we explain this? How can we explain this decoupling, without denying this basic fact about the transmission mechanism, which is that you know uh, a virus like this transmits because people get, you know, they get to each other, close to each other, like they have dinner together, or whatever, and you know they they shed some viruses that ends up inside the other person, you know, like that. That's that's the mystery here.
0: Okay, and how do, and how do you solve it?
1: Well, how do I solve it so uh uh, so the idea I had I mean, you know that's not I'm not like the only person who had this idea like i i I know several people have floated this idea around, yeah, but I guess for some reason it's it has never been like taken really seriously.
0: Right. I mean, well, maybe yeah, we can talk about that later. But I read uh, uh, medical journals, and someone's just watching the news. This was the crush the curve thing, right? It's like it's going to grow, grow forever. We're all going to die, and then it's going to go back. Yeah. And then they say, "Well, the behavior changes." And this is something you've written about too. You've written about behavioral changes and, and, yeah, 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 yeah. and not behavioral changes. So this is is true, but st- but then there's a bigger mystery because okay, it's wrong, but it's not behavioral changes, right? Yeah. yeah. So I what, mean, it's what, not, not, just,
1: it's not just behavioral changes. Like I'm, right. I'm sure behavior also matters, you know, and Sure, you can explain some of those fluctuations, but then even when you you account for behavior, you're left yeah. with a bunch of very large fluctuation, large and sudden fluctuation,
0: yeah. that
1: it doesn't seem very plausible that behavior can explain because we don't see it at all in the data. It's very sudden, you know. I mean, um so yes, that's that's the and, and you know we have it seems it looks as though we have to square a circle here, which is that again. Uh, there seems to be this decoupling between behavior and transmission, and yet, based on what we know about the basic transmission mechanism, they should be extremely tightly connected to each other. So that's that's really weird. And so the idea I had, and again, you know, I, I, like I said, you know, it's like uh, I've heard other people float this idea. It's just that for reasons we we maybe will discuss later, it, it hasn't been taken seriously and like really explored in the scientific literature. Uh, you know, at least. The applied work on the pandemic, because uh, I'll explain this b- later, you know. But like, the, there has been theoretical work on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the idea is that look, uh, if you go back to those standard models I was talking about, um, they make a key assumption, or you know, something very close to it. Because usually in applied work, you know, they, they don't quite make this assumption, but it doesn't really matter because they make an assumption that's for all practical purposes, is very similar. And this assumption is called the homogenous mixing population assumption. Right. And what it says is that um, when s- someone who is infectious, because he's been infected and right now is infectious, he's shedding virus, um, that person, everyone in the population, has exactly the same probability of being infected by that person. In
0: mm-hmm. other words, you know,
1: yeah. it's kind of like a billiard ball, like ideal gas model of human population. It's like yeah. you can see it's as if, like, individuals in human population were like those particles bouncing at random, like in this homogeneous medium. And so they're hitting each other at random, like billiard balls, like the billiard balls, like model of gas, you know, in physics. And, but, you know, and so you just have to state this hypothesis to see that it's completely unrealistic, of course, like it's not how it works. Like in effect, if I'm like, suppose that unbeknownst to me right now I were infectious uh, in effect, the probability that I will infect ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the French population is zero, because I will mm-hmm. have no interaction whatsoever with them ever.
0: Yeah, this seems yeah. obvious enough. Why did why did epidemiologists believe this?
1: So they don't. They know this. You know, they know this is not a, a
0: realistic. They it assumption. Was close enough. It was good enough for but, the model.
1: Yeah, the hope is that well, you know. It's good. And like I said, you know, they don't quite make this assumption in, in in applied work. What they do instead is that they divide the population into several age groups, typically. You know. Typically, no. they divide the population into several age groups. And then they they have surveys, you know, to estimate the contact rates between people in different age groups.
0: Mm. And so
1: they mm-hmm. use those contact rates to see how much transmission there is, contact there is between pef- people in different age groups. So and then they make not like
0: they have like five categories of networks of homogeneous networks. Is that it? Yeah, it's like you have it's it's it's
1: as if you have a network of like uh, everyone in your five, age or group. six, or seven like different uh, subpopulations that corresponds to the age groups, and they're all connected to each other, but they have a different weight. You know, the probability of uh, that someone who is like in the over sixty age group is going to interact with someone in the twenty to thirty age group is a certain number and like for yeah. different other age groups, different. Uh, but so, you know, so it's not quite the, but you know, but inside age groups, inside age, within age groups, then they make the homogenous mixing assumption. So within, mm-hmm. so it's still the case that those models, they effectively assume that, so me, I'm in the 30 to 40 age group and they effectively assume that I have everyone, if I'm infect- infectious right now, uh, I have the same probability of infecting, everyone else in this 30 to 40 uh, age
0: group, yeah, which it again sound is totally much better. Cool. It doesn't sound much yeah, better. No, no
1: it's not, it's not much better. It's a, and in yeah. practice, you know, those models, the behavior that they predict, the epidemic behavior that they predict is very similar. So it doesn't make a, uh, a difference on to the qualitative behavior of the epidemic. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, you know, like the, it's not that the, of course the epidemiologists know it's not realistic. You know, they're not stupid. I mean, at least some of them aren't. Um, and, um, but, but the hope is that, you know, in science, you often make idealizations, you know, like simplifying assumptions, you know, they're sure. false, but you know, the hope and, and it's, a no, it's a yeah. hope that's often realized. It makes the, it makes the
0: math easier. It, 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 the it makes the,
1: yeah. It makes, it makes the model like mathematically tractable. Yeah. Uh, and, and the hope is that in many cases it, it won't really matter. You know, you'll still be able to, uh, it, it will still predict pretty well the, the phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, to you know, know that you
0: have to have you have to know a little bit more math, and then you have to say, well, if I relax this assumption, this is pretty much you know foreshadow what we're going to talk about. What you do is you make the math a little more complicated, and then the point is you show, wait a minute, it looks nothing like it. It completely changes yeah. everything,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you know it, it, of course when you relax it, and it depends on exactly how you relax it. You know, you you can relax it a lot, but depending on the detail, you can still get something that's like close enough to, you know, to, to what you get. So uh, with like the, the simple models, but, uh, but then you can also get something very, very different, you know? And and so, and so what's interesting is that again, it's not like when I say that epidemiologists know that uh, I really mean, I mean, you know, I know some of them, certainly in France, I know some epidemiologists where you hear all the time in the media. And I know for a fact, they don't know that because I, Mm. I know they don't just don't know this literature at all, but uh, but you know others definitely do it know it and um and you know there is a vast there is a vast theoretical literature on this um, yeah. so it's not it's not something like the the theory it's not something new um there's a vast yeah. theoretical literature on the spread of not just infectious diseases but in general like social phenomena like you know rumors yeah. or um um you know fashions that sort of things uh, all this spread on a complex network. And this is a literature that isn't limited to epidemiology of infectious diseases. You also have like sociologists working on that. You have physicists. A lot of this stuff comes from uh, mathematical tools that were developed by physicists um, uh, to study like condensed matter and all sorts of things uh, where, uh, you know, networks actually matter. Yeah, often, Um, I mean, when you
0: hear the science you hear about in the media, I mean, it's often just you know, the tip of the iceberg, right? There's this vast literature, like 99.9% of journalists and the public will will never see. And there's like good stuff in there, but it's like sometimes but, you know, you're going to see a small, small sample. So I, th- I think, you know, I saw on the Gelman uh, blog today when he shared your thing, you said something like, you know, the way we think about these models, and someone in the comments said, oh, who's thinking about this? I googled on Google Scholar, and I saw people talking about population structure, and like, sure, someone in the universe has talked about the epidemic and population structure, but if you just read the New York Times, if you just read, you know, the Wall Street Journal, if you just follow the major epidemiologists on Twitter, basically it's homogenous, it's homogenous mixing, right? But, there's... Yeah, there's, there's... And,
1: and, and you know, it's actually worse than that. It's much worse than that, actually. Because
0: uh-huh. uh, what this data guy data.
1: was talking about, I, I replied to this guy in the comments. You know, it's true. You know, m- maybe we can discuss that later. But uh, there has been a debate. So some people who are listening to this, they may remember that there was a debate about heterogeneity in general and what roles it plays in the epidemic process last year. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have seen, you know, like they're vaguely aware of that stuff. And so they see my post and they think, oh, this is what he's talking about. But no, really, it's a different thing I'm talking about. And and maybe I'll explain later. But I just want to point out that what the, all the, the two articles that this guy uh, uh, talked yeah. about in the comments of the Gellman post, for instance, uh, they're actually things, on, on, they're actually papers that you know, are very interesting, but they're just on something completely different from what I'm talking about. Okay. So, and the guy just yeah, doesn't so know it. What's your because,
0: contribution and, and what you do So, uh, but like, you know, I,
1: again, I want to say that um, uh, going back to what you were saying, it's not just that, you know, it's not just in New York Times and whatever. So what I'm talking about, there is this vast theoretical literature on the spread of infectious disease on complex networks. And, and you know, epidemiologists have contributed to it, contributed to it and physicists have done so socially, et cetera. So they, a lot of them know this stuff. But the problem is that, as far as I can tell, and I, am, you know, I've, I have followed this literature quite closely, uh, it has played virtually no role in the applied work on the COVID-19 pandemic. So you have, you know, they're aware of this possibility theoretically, you know, there's a lot of theoretical work, more than theoretical, uh, more than theoretically, uh, but there's a lot of theoretical work that's been done on this, which is like really interesting and really good, but in practice, it's not just in the New York Times. Even in the scientific literature yeah. on the pandemic, it has in the applied work at least, it has played virtually no role.
0: So, like and I Gemma, think- if you see Journal of American Medical Association, they're not—they're they're not even aware of the stuff that happens in different journals. Or you, you—you cite one paper in your uh, report, which is just basically—it's been cited only a few times, right? It's got no attention at all. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the yeah, attention is no. Uh, you know has very little correlation with merit often in academic literature either within academic literature or what gets what sort of breaks through outside of academia and gets into the broader public i mean so
1: yeah you have, you have the filter you know i mean you have a first filter uh you know within science itself of right. you know in this case i think the reason why they feel, I mean one of the reasons why the theoretical literature has not been uh, has not played any role or basically no role uh in the um, in the applied work on the COVID-19 pandemic, is that uh, it makes everything a lot more complicated. And I think very often, if you if you take that stuff into account, then all they would have been left uh, to say would be, you know, we don't know. You know, oh, what you know, they're be, they're being asked. You, you have to understand, like a lot of those guys, they're under a lot of pressure in a way because they're being asked by decision makers for advice for you know policy relevant advice. And, and, you know, if you take into account... Before before we
0: go down this rabbit hole, before we talk about science and what's wrong with it, you you still have been explaining. exactly... Yeah, yeah, I should start explaining what I think.
1: So, so, you know, okay, uh, let me rewind. You know, I was talking about how they make this assumption or something close to it, which is that uh, the population is homogeneous mixing, which means, again, that, you know, when someone is infectious, he has basically the same probability of infecting everyone else in the population, and that's totally not realistic. That's not realistic because in practice... The population is structured in social networks, you know, like, for instance, if I were infectious right now, um, like I said, there is almost no one, that, the probability that I will infect ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the French population would effectively be zero because I never have any interaction with them. But then there are a few people I do have interaction with them on a regular basis, like my friends, uh, you know, my neighbors, or actually my neighbors, not so much, but, you know. Um, People, you know, work at the supermarket where I, I buy my groceries, That's but, you know, mostly my friends, basically, and family, um, and those are people that I do have interaction with, so if I were infectious, they would have a non-zero probability of being infected by me, and they, in turn, have their own friends, which don't entirely overlap, or sometimes not at all sure. with mine, uh, their own, like, uh, you know, colleagues, you know, et cetera, and, and and if you if you so if you look based on people's like I- patterns of interaction you can imagine that the population you can imagine the population as a a network where the nodes in the network are individuals and the edges connecting nodes are uh potential interactions with it between them and you can also imagine that on those those edges you associate with them uh, uh a number which corresponds to a weight you know which corresponds to the probability that they will have an interaction, those two nodes will have an interaction during the infectious period. So it's not always the same because, for instance, our, I have some close friends. I see them often. So for yeah. them, the weight is going to be pretty heavy, you know, because I, I see them often. If I'm infectious, there's a fair chance I'm going to have an interaction with them and I might infect them. But then mm. you have, say, the, the lady who works at the supermarket when I buy my groceries, uh, in, in in her case, you know, the probability is much smaller because although I do see her, it's not like my friends, you know, I don't see her as often and, you know, it's not as when I do see her, it's pretty short interactions, you know, I don't spend like, I don't stay like 30 minutes at the uh, talking to the cashier or whatever. Um, so you can imagine a population like this. And so in reality, um, the virus, the way it spreads is, it doesn't spread at random in the population, you know, there are certain paths there are only certain paths it can it can take to spread and the probability of some of those paths is much higher than the probability of some of the others you know and and so what what i was you know so you you look at the going back to the data you know you look at the data and you see that the epidemics even when there is apparently no change in behavior is is you have those large waves that go, that start, you know, and then they fall all of a sudden you don't know why. And then, yeah. you know, a yeah. bit later they start again, or sometimes you have those huge, very long plateau, like they've had yeah. in England for the past four months where, you know, like it's been this long plateau uh, at very high level of incidence with like some ups and downs, you know? Uh, and so I see this and I'm like, okay, my, so what I was, I was thinking about, okay, what might explain this, you know? And, and, and my idea was, um maybe, you know, maybe this huge network I was talking about, you know, the population uh, formed by its people's patterns of interaction, maybe this network has something that in network science, they call community structure, which means that there are some parts of the networks. So some collection of nodes that are well, very well connected with each other. So you have lots of edges between them. And then, you know but you know and then some in some other parts of the graph of the network there is another
0: collection of nodes where that is like very
1: well connected yeah. internally but then so, there are I really- mean, in, in
0: like a population so you can imagine like there this in real life what's this look like so maybe there's ethnic communities right muslims interact with other muslims you have families you have extended families uh, you have college students you have communities you know center around institutions right and sometimes these you know communities can have nothing to do with each other at all right yeah. and sometimes there the connections are very weak one person who you know goes to college might be connected to the you know muslim community or jewish community or whatever so you're you're not you know you, you you i mean you do something technically what you do is very fascinating because you allow for all different kinds of sizes right you have you have them going from you know the small communities what are the smallest like in the in the tens and then you go up to like don't you go up to like a million or something like that
1: it's like uh so at, at the very basic because i mean i I, I should talk about this a bit later because there is some kind of like trick I use to make the problem like computationally tractable and, okay. and, and oh, go ahead. Okay.
0: Me, then just go ahead on your, on your path. So, Okay.
1: So let me just finish like, you know, you with this idea where you have some parts of the network where like that is some connection of nodes that are internally like very well connected to each other. Because they're like you say, you know, maybe they're the same school or you know, they're f- Uh, families and networks of families and friends or like ethnic community. I mean, I I think it can, you know, it's fractal. You have communities within communities, you know, Uh, but, you know, you can imagine there are some parts of the, uh, of the huge network of the whole population where internally it's very well connected. And then some other parts where it's the same, it's internally very well connected. Uh, But so internally, those parts of the network are very well connected, but they're only loosely connected to each other. You know, that's at least that's a possibility. We we don't know, you know. That's an empirical question: what the the huge network looks like. But at least it looks like a not not like a crazy hypothesis, you know, based on the sort yeah. of constitution that you just that you just made. You know, like people are are they have different like communities of friends and families and and schools and et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, and so if you have this, you effectively have this huge network. Um, you can think of it as um a collection, not just one big homogenous mixing population as the standard model assumes, you know, but instead you can imagine that it's like uh, a collection of like several thousands of uh, networks, parts of the network that really aren't quite homogenous mixing, mm. but they're so well connected internally that, you know, we can make the idealization that they are, in effect, like a uh, homogenous mixing population. And, right. you know, this is what I do. I, I assume that, you know, you have those communities that are like internally well-connected enough that it's as if they were homogenous mixing, although even those communities are not quite homogenous mixing. And and so what you end up with is like this huge network of, of several, like you, you, the, effectively the population is divided into... Dozens of subpopulations corresponding to those small networks, and those small networks are themselves connected to each other, and they form like networks of networks. And then those networks of networks uh, are only loosely connected to each other. And you have so you have those kind of like uh, uh, clusters of 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 networks uh, and subpopulations only loosely connected to each other, and so. The intuition behind my, the theory that I like explore in this post for how, why, you know, even when behavior doesn't really change, you can have those wild fluctuations of the number of infection, daily number of infections and reproduction number, is that basically what happens is that the virus, one of those uh, parts of the graph that are very well connected internally, gets seeded by the virus and the virus starts spreading inside that community. And it's fairly easy because, again, we're talking about communities where there are lots of ties, yeah. you know. And if, by the hand- way, if, uh,
0: for for listeners, I mean, or, or watchers, if you, um, uh, there are pictures that sort of make this, I think, clearer and figures and graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's
1: it's it's uh, yeah, so it's a yeah. It's a. You're bit,
0: having it's trouble a bit... sort of following along. I mean, if you probably listen and follow along, it's probably better. But continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you should definitely like uh, have a look at the pictures. I I do think it helps understand this. So you know. What I think is is happening or at least maybe happening is that uh, some of those communities get seeded by the virus. You know, just like whatever uh, someone, you know, for instance, there was an outbreak in India, a very large outbreak in India of the the Delta variant came from. And, you know, so there was lots of people in India getting contaminated. So some of them, you know, traveled and, and, you know, by chance or, you know, bad luck in this case, um, one of them, you know, hit your community and like and the, the virus starts spreading in there. And so, like I said, internally, those communities are well-connected, so it it can spread pretty easily in that community. But then, in in the theory that I'm, like, exploring in that post, uh, they're only loosely connected to each other. So it's spreading very easily inside that community. But it may take a while before it can reach another of those communities, or it may never be able to do it.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, Sure. And so what happens if, if, you know, if, if this is what happens, it would explain why, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a wave starts. Why does it start? Well, because some community of lots of people are susceptible to in, to infection just happen to be seeded by the virus and the virus starts spreading in that community and it has a fairly easy time uh, of, doing, of doing it, you know. And then eventually herd immunity is, is reached locally in that network and it starts, you know, incidence starts going down. And then when, when, or even before that, what can happen is that either the virus manages to, escape this from this community and reach another one and then it can spread in that other one and you know that maybe you have a second wave or you know the first wave continues or you know it was looking like it was going down but no it it goes back up again as we've seen in many in many cases on in real data or what can happen is that it's trapped in that community it doesn't manage to get out because there is not enough connectivity between this community and other communities and and so herd immunity is reached locally incidence goes down and it's the end of the wave until a bit later, or sometimes not a bit later at all, some other community is seeded by the virus, you know, and it, start, it starts another wave. And then you're, you know, you're back on that ride again. And yeah. the same thing
0: can happen. So and it's, so sort of we- like, it's sort of like countries. I mean, we think about countries as isolated units. And then people see in some countries, it goes like this and that. But if you just assume that sort of the countries are not connected to each other, Right. You you don't expect, you know, the wave in France to be correlated with the wave in America, Um, although, you know, it might be in in reality. But generally, you know, we understand epidemiology and people who follow these things understand that there's no, you know, these are different communities. So you'd expect different uh, uh, dynamics and you'd expect different patterns. But within... um, uh, within a country, it's sort of like you know populations can be thought of as different countries and communities, right? I mean, it, it's, it's like we should. Yeah, be yeah thinking- that's
1: exactly so that's in in my framework. You know, I, I I do use the I do like ask people to pretend that I'm modeling one country, but really yeah. in my in my framework, um, it's
0: international. Yeah,
1: it's inter- You know, the the only thing that that makes a country special is that the the communities within the countries are more connected on average than the communities in different, in the same country than in the the communities in different countries. But, you know, really in reality, there are connections, but you know, otherwise the, the, the virus wouldn't be spreading, you know, it would have stayed in Wuhan, you know, which, which of course is not what happened. Uh, and so, and you know, you can, um, like I said, I, I, I try to model this as one country, but I could, you could even like, and you know, and I see the, the virus from the outside in the simulations that I do, uh, but, you know, if I wanted, it wouldn't be very difficult to use that same framework and make seeding, uh, like, the jargon is endogenous. What I mean is that uh, instead of modeling just one country with, like, all the communities inside it, right. I could model, like, several countries yeah, and see it's just, how... it's just
0: about the networks. It's just about changing the... Yeah, it's, it's, just, just, a, about, it's just, like, yeah,
1: uh, enlarging it's just the network. And so you can yeah. see how different, com- like, uh, an outbreak in one country is going to seed communities in another country and starts outbreaks over there and, and, and then, right. you know, it can spread that way. And, and, you know, that explains, you know, in the post, I also show how, um, this can not only explain, you know, this, 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 uh, theory can not only explain why, uh, uh, even when behavior is, doesn't change, you can get this wave, you know, going up and down, but also explains why, or at least it can explain, you know, again, we don't know if that's actually true, but, um, but it could explain why, uh, Uh, waves are correlated across regions, you know, like, because even, you know, even in my simulation, I assume that those networks of communities, they are heavily concentrated, you know, in, 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 in one region, but, you know, they have, they have some connection to other regions and this is enough, you know, like, because they have some connection to other to communities in in other regions, you get this correlation between of waves across regions. And it's actually pretty, I was surprised by this actually, like I, I, I really assume like very little that it was heavily concentrated in one region those those big communities are internally very well connected but only loosely connected to each other mm-hmm. and, and and nevertheless you know just a little bit of communities of connection of like communities in other regions, that was enough to get Something that that looks a lot like what we've seen again. Yeah. You know, I want to sp- like I in like sp-
0: France. So, in like France, for example, you see the waves are correlated across region, right? So, yeah. the north of France and the south of France will have. You know, uh, if one of them has a is on the increase, the other one will be too, right? And yeah, yeah, it's get, like can, it's- yeah, and that makes sense yeah. if. There and that makes sense, right? People have different like networks. They have families. They have uh, uh, professions. They have like hobbies and associations, and you know, uh, so it makes sense that you would see correlation across. Like so you just think of a university where people from you know the U.S. different areas come together, um, and there's a you know university community. It's connected to a lot of other places. So th- this makes this makes sense, and it's just the empirical question, like how much region matters like how much of a barrier is region to uh, uh to sort of mixing between people and it's a something yeah. of a barrier but it's, it's not you know a perfect barrier so so we we just don't know where we are and all we can do i guess is design these models and plug the numbers in and, and see what happens
1: yeah yeah so the the uh, you know I, I do want to stress that I, I do that in the post but i'm, I'm going to do this here too that this is speculative work you know I, i'm what i'm doing is yeah. I'm looking. At, I start. I mean, I do start from real data. You know, I, I start from. I start from real data, and I start from the the standard models, and I see that the way in which the real data behave uh, doesn't match what the standard model predicts. So I'm like, okay, uh, just describing my process here. I'm like, okay, what what could explain this? And and you know, and and then you know, I think about the fact that you know, if you think about the way in which the virus really spreads. It's on this network, and I'm I'm beginning to think about what kind of structure would this network need to have to explain the kind of of uh, things we see in the real data. And that's how I came up with this uh, uh, theory that I described in the post. But it is speculative in that I don't have I don't have data on the the structure of the actual networks. So maybe yeah. maybe the actual network doesn't have the structure that I assume in my simulations, it's possible. Uh, What I do here is I just want to show to people that if it does have this structure, it would explain a number of things that are otherwise very puzzling. Mm -hmm. And so what I hope is that it will motivate people to collect data that would allow us to tell what structure the network actually has and see if, based on that structure, we can recover the you know the actual epidemic behavior that we've seen, you know, when why waves went up when they did, and you know, is this something that makes sense given the actual structure of the of the network? And but you know, this is not something that I can do because I don't have access to like uh you know cell phone company tracking data sort of things. But there is one study uh that I mentioned in the post that you know so they weren't this study doesn't look at the at community structure, but I, I, I talked, you know, the uh, I talked with the author. So they they use uh, GPS tracking data from like a million cell phone in Germany, and they were able to reconstruct a, a network, and it does have community structure, like the sort of structure that I suppose in in my post. But then it's really tricky to interpret this, you know. And it, so it, uh, my point here is just I'd say that uh, you know he sent me a picture that looks an awful lot like the the picture of the graph that I generated randomly for my simulation yeah. that I, that you can find in the post, you know, it's actually pretty impressive. I didn't yeah, put it in sure. the post because he asked me not to share it, but it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Uh, but you know, it doesn't mean I want to say, you know, it doesn't mean that, uh, my, my theory is true because the, the structure that he can see in his data, uh, I mean, their data, there are several of them, um, it's It's difficult to interpret, you know like it's it's very difficult so is there I, I know they're working on it right now, so maybe you know they will come up with something that will either you know confirm or disconfirm my theory uh and you know hopefully hopefully this will encourage more people to to get that kind of data and try to look into this into the the role that population structure might play because as I said before, the problem right now is that it's not just again in the media it's not just the New York Times, et cetera, like even in the scientific literature at least in applied work. Uh, population structure, again, beyond, you know, age group, dividing the population into age groups hasn't really played any role, basically. And and so, you know, in applied work. And so, and this is a problem. It's a problem because, uh, as I explained in the post, or projections, you know, so Mm -hmm. governments, they make decisions in part based on the inputs from modelers who give them projections, you know, like what's going to happen if you do this or don't do this in the next month or so. And, and, as I've discussed several times on, on you know, in, in stuff I've written for CSPI before, uh, those projections have been pretty terrible. But, I mean, you know, I, I think this is becoming increasingly not controversial, you know.
0: Yeah. It's, it's starting have to be learned, so Have they learned? Because when they hear them talk now, they say, oh, we're going to have maybe a wave because of, you know, the Christmas season. And they do No, don't. no,
1: I, they haven't learned at all. It's like, it's, it's uh,
0: honestly, it's... Uh, but they, but they I mean, don't assume anymore that it's going to continue forever until it hits everyone right they're assuming i mean they they they, ha, they know the um i don't know Well, i don't know why they think it like they i don't know if they take into account in their minds implicitly they take into account uh behavior i don't know if that's it or its networks but they they do understand at least that the the initial you know, when we were started talking about epidemiology at the beginning of all this, at the beginning of COVID, it was like our not was like the scientifically, you know, concept. Like it was like the it was like the temperature at which water boils. It was just something that like diseases had, and I, I see people don't talk about that anymore. It was very naive. Um, it was very naive that we would just be going, you know, up. The numbers would go up forever until herd immunity. And I don't know if they've replaced it with any model in their head, but they at least know the patterns you're talking about. I mean, right? you know, if
1: you, if you look at, like, if I if I look at the the applied literature, I know best, which is the one about France for obvious reasons, because I was directly concerned about it. Um, I can tell you, you can see their evolution. You know, at first, their first model, there's nothing about, like, voluntary behavior. It's just like, they just assume that, you know, um, uh, non-pharmaceutical, you know, government interventions Uh, totally control people's behavior and that they're the only thing that's gonna have any effect you know on the dynamic of the epidemic and then you know uh like you know earlier this year they finally started to take more seriously behavior but you know i say take it more seriously but that's it's not saying much because before they weren't taking taking it into account at all so taking it more seriously all you have to do is take it in Taking taking it into account at least a little bit, mm-hmm. and so the way they do it, they just make those. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's this stuff. It's really, it's really total pseudoscience. I mean, what they do, for instance, that they look at how uh, the reproduction number changed, um, uh, you know, in the past, and they assume all this has to be the effect of the lockdown, and when it, when there was a lockdown, you know, and when there was no lockdown, so this has to be the effect of voluntary uh, behavior change. And, and you know and they assume it's going to be the same the next time in their projection and they make those and it's just I mean honestly if, if people really knew and understood how those things work there'll be riots in the streets you know it's really lucky
0: this is every field yeah yeah but in this case
1: I agree it's every field but in this case it has impacted people's life like in a much more direct way than usual for those things you know because like I, in France people are like for months you know we had to go back at 6 p.m or 7 p.m or you know we'd be fine if we were outside it's like you know it's just like it, it, let's just say this is a kind of of uh of bullshit that has had uh a much more direct and massive impact on people's lives than the usual bullshit you find in in, in academia so yeah uh, that's true they, they do you know they, so they did you can see you know again like you, if you look at the literature at least like like the one i, I know best but I, you know I I haven't read, I've read a lot of stuff, not just about France, and it's very similar. They do progressively uh, add more some of those complications. But if I'm right, that population structure plays a key role. uh, They're just adding epicycles on fundamentally flawed models, basically. Mm. So it doesn't really help, you know, and indeed it hasn't really helped because their projections have remained absolutely terrible. I mean, you know, they were terrible at first. And honestly... Again, if I look at the ones I know best, the the French case, they were really no less terrible more recently than they were one year ago. So, you know, one possible explanation is that I'm right that population structure is a key factor here, and and so what they're doing when they add all those complications that they're just adding epicycles to a fundamentally flawed theory, and that would be one explanation. Or maybe you know my theory is wrong. There is some other explanation. But one thing that's for sure is that their projections are shit, and uh, yeah. so you know, uh, it, it's um, and you know it's it's here's another reason why it's a problem is that it's not just a, so I, as I just said, you know, it affects the projections. If if I'm right and population structure is a key factor, then your projections are going to be completely off. Even if you add all those complications, it's not going to help. If if I'm right and population structure has this really important role, another in which it may in which it may have, um, in which it may have uh, made things bad is that um, if you look at the literature, so, you know, there's been like uh, governments around the world have uh, done all sorts of interventions to try and contain the spread of the virus right or slow it down or mitigate it, whatever. And, and you know, there's a vast you know, empirical scientific literature on, on the effects of those interventions. And as I explained in the post, is uh, implicit, more or less implicitly, implicitly or explicitly you know, very often it's just implicit uh, those studies the statistical techniques that they use to estimate the effect of government interventions on the spread of the virus. Uh, they implicitly or explicitly assume homogeneous mixing. So if I'm right that yeah. in fact it's not just, so it's, there's no dispute that homogeneous the homogeneous mixing assumption is false. The the dispute is about how much it matters. And if I'm right that it matters a lot, uh then I one thing I show in the post is that it, it makes the uh Statistical methods that are used in the scientific literature to estimate the effect of those interventions completely unreliable, because those methods, again, implicitly or explicitly, they start from the assumption that the population is homogeneous mixing, and if it's not, uh, it, it messes everything up. So what I do in the, what I do in the, in the post, you know if people read it, they'll see that what I do is I, I take my simulation that assume that the population is not homogeneous mixing and that, you know, you have those networks, those communities are internally very well connected, but only loosely connected to each other. And I generate epidemics with this, and you have this this pattern that I we've talked about, you know, those waves that's, you know, in my simulation, I assume that behavior doesn't change. So it's, but even with behavior that doesn't change, you get those waves that come and go, as we've seen in, in the real world. And what I do is that I take the data that have been generated by this model, and I and I I feed it to the models that have been used to estimate the effect of government interventions, and I tell the model, okay, this is here are data, here are real data. Of course, they're not real data; they're simulated data. And I tell them, I lie to the model. I'll tell them, I tell the model, here at this point there was a lockdown, and I want you to estimate. No. the effect that this lockdown had. In fact, there was no lockdown, you know, in, by assumption in my, in, mo- in my simulation, there was no lockdown. There was no change of behavior, whether forced by government or voluntary. But I tell, I, I tell those models, I give them those data and I tell them there was a lockdown. So of course, the real effect of the lockdown was zero because there was no lockdown. <laughs> But I, tell, I, give the, I feed those data to the model, and I, tell, I, tell, I ask the model, okay, tell me what, what was the effect of this lockdown? And it finds a huge effect, you know, which of course that was That's, the yeah. real effect is zero. And so, and, and I show this for two classes of models, two different class, very different classes of the model that use a completely different approach to estimate the effect of this intervention, And it's the same result in both cases. Which yeah. makes perfect sense. You know, it's it's intuitively it's very easy to understand. If you assume that the population is homogeneous mixing, as I said at the beginning, the only thing that can slow down uh, the uh, uh, the growth of the epidemic there are only two things. Either you hit the herd immunity, and you know the epidemic eventually dies down because there is no one left to infect, mm. or there is massive change of behavior. Or you know whether forced or violence. So In that case, I would be forced, you know, by a lockdown, and so people like don't have as many contacts as before, and so the epidemic transmission goes down. So if you if if a model that assumes homogeneous mixing gets you give him you give it data where you have the wave that falls long before the herd immunity threshold is reached for the model because it assumes homogeneous mixing, the only possible ways this could happen. Is if the lockdown had a massive effect, so it's gonna infer that the lockdown had a massive effect because that's the only way this model can explain the data. Otherwise, it can't explain it. And and yeah. you know this is not those models that I'm using. It's not stuff that I made up. You know, I mean, I did, I I did write those models, but they're based. You know, it's it's the exact same models. You know, where. A variety—it's a variety of the, the exact same models that have been used in the literature. You know those things have actually been used. That, that is what I just described. That is exactly what virtually every study, including the most cited ones, uh, on the effect of government intervention has have been doing has been doing. This is yeah. exactly what they've been doing. So, so if I'm right, that population structure uh, plays a key role in transmission those studies are like are totally unreliable. Yeah. So you may you may say, okay, but we don't know that you're right. And yeah. I agree, we don't know that I'm right. But it's 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 more it's more consistent with the data. And even if you put that aside, it's certainly not crazy. You know, it's like as you said yeah. before, you know, actual population there you know they are there are those networks they exist. We know they're you know what's the overall structure of the network? That's another question. But it, it's you know it's not a crazy hypothesis. So even if you know maybe it will turn out to be false, but the mere fact that it might be true that we have good reasons to think that it, that it might be true, that should make you feel really uncomfortable about uh, the conclusions of all those studies that we have you know we have based like a lot on those studies.
0: We we yeah. have we have completely you know. So besides, so besides that, besides uh, how would policymakers how would they change if they adopted your the view? So they would not take the uh studies on the effectiveness of NPI seriously um, non pharmaceutical interventions is there is there any are there any other implications because both the behavioral model and the uh, network model predicts uh, superficially the same thing that you're going to see waves and you're going to see them go up and you're going to go down even without herd immunity um so well, you know what what else are the policy implications besides the uh, 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 i the- mean
1: look uh, on on in the case you know it- the the behavior, like the, the voluntary behavioral change theory, it only predicts this if people actually change their behavior. But, yeah. you know, we, we don't know that they will. I mean, you know, I think if things got really bad, it's pretty clear that they would. But, uh, it could, it could the, get really, you know, the, the point is that if you, if you, uh, on the behavioral, uh, voluntary behavioral change theory, or, you know, uh, any theory that gives a lot of weight to behavior, uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions make more sense. I'm not saying that they make they automatically make sense. You know, I've discussed right. this a lot, but they at least make more sense because they still start, you know, this theory still starts from the assumption that behavior is the yeah. thing that really matters. Yeah, okay. And so it you know. Uh, uh, you know, so whereas if it's if population structure is the main factor, then really it 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 means that I mean, no, it doesn't. Again, my theory is not inconsistent. And in fact, I do believe that behavior plays a role, you know. So it's not, I'm not saying here that uh, behavior plays no role. But if it's a big factor, if population structure is a really big factor or even the main factor, it, it, it really breaks this illusion of control that people have had, you know, where governments think that they, they, they can control most of the, you know, because what it means is that they should like relax because no, yeah. what they do is mostly going to harm people by reducing their well-being, but it's not going to have that much of an effect on the on the epidemic. Well, um, might I mean,
0: because you can control social- if you make a curfew and you say people can't leave their house after six p.m., yeah, then that, it, it could hit their networks, right? If their networks are yeah, yeah, so, so yeah, like,
1: so that's another complication. Like one thing I briefly discuss in the post, uh, not only are those things not inconsistent, but in fact, uh. All this stuff about networks and population structure—it interacts with uh, government interventions, but also voluntary changes of behavior. Because if people change their behavior, whether because they're forced by the government or voluntarily, it's going to change the topology of the network. You know, some some links between nodes are going to be broken, or the weight you know associated yeah. to that link is going to get weaker, and this may change the dynamic too. So so it's not just that it's not. Inconsistent, but also we may be able to better understand how, to the extent that government interventions and voluntary behavior change explain the dynamic of the epidemic, we may be able to uh, explain it better, understand it better, if we take into account population structure. And to go back to your question, um, I think a- another difference it makes from the policy point of view, in addition to the fact that it should just um, uh, strengthened the point that you know uh, policy doesn't matter nearly as much as many people assume but another I think uh, possible implications is just that p- we should maybe start collecting the kind of data we need to test the theory I was talking about you know so data that would allow us to reconstruct the network on which the the virus is spreading because yeah. this if'm I'm, if I'm right this is the only way, we are ever going to be able to make projections that are not completely terrible, like the ones we've 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 seen so far. So there is a real uh, effort that would be necessary, you know, to to collect the kind of data that modelers modelers would need to project to make projections that are not completely. Completely awful, and yeah. so so that's another you way in which we want to
0: my- in- this ability and data because you know the the way I've seen it, I mean, we've proven to be very very incompetent every part of you know how Western countries have responded to this from you know the the, the their uh, the NPIs to the you know the the vaccination which they don't put, put enough em- emphasis on to the NPIs which they put too much emphasis on to to their rhetoric. You know, I, I just think that giving them any excuse to sort of meddle anywhere. So, you know, they're meddling now based on this homogenous mixing. So they just say, you know, we're not going to let people go outside. If you tell them, Oh, it's more targeted. They might go and say, okay, we really have to go after dinner parties. We really have to go like to family. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I think, yeah, uh, look, it may have this implication where we're dealing with competent people. We could trust to, to make good use of that stuff. But, uh, But, you know, we obviously aren't dealing with this kind of people. And, you know, of course, relatedly, there are issues about privacy here. You know, the protection, you know, I I don't trust. I mean, you know, when I, you know, like you're in the US, you know, I see all the FBI has been behaving, you know, in various episodes. And I'm like, do I want to give the same government, you know, a way to like, you know, have enough like fine grain data to reconstruct, you know, people's like minute behavior and yeah. like who they see, when, etc. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, not only as you said, is it not clear that they will use this to make better decisions as opposed to even dumber decisions? Yeah. But also, you know, they may use it to make not just dumb decisions, but you know, down the road, like, like clearly like malevolent ones. You know. So, yeah, I think that's, that's I, I,
0: possible. Yeah, I think just letting them think it's all behavioral change. I think, you know, yeah, for probably... I mean, truth is... What is truth and what is propaganda is, you know, often different things. Like, the anti-vex stuff. Like, some people... Like, it's obviously stupid, but some people say, look, you only have, like... You know, society can only have two equilibria. It's like overreaction or underreaction, yeah. right? And so, you, if you want to oppose masks and you want to oppose lockdowns, you sort of have to accept the anti vaxxers you know, um, sort of into your into your coalition, or at least not go after them too much, because the idea is, well, you know, it, it, it's one or it's one or the other. We are, we we don't have enough. We're not smart enough, you know, as public intellectuals, we could say whatever we want. But if we were political yeah. activists, we you know we have I, to think more carefully about this.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good point. You know, you have like, it's something that is almost always completely ignored in those discussions. You know, we're, we're having this discussion, we're nerds and we're having those technocratic discussions about, you know, the ideal ways of doing things. And we totally forget in those discussions that we're dealing with like real societies, you know, that are not made up of nerds who, you know, Mm -hmm. care about that stuff. And, and, you know, you have to take into account various like sociological and political realities when you, when you. Uh, talk about that stuff, you know, when you, when you try to change policy, really. Yeah. And and I often struggle with this thing, you know, so like right now there's all this discussion, you know, about, um, you know, all those plans that people are pushing to uh, make, you know, increase our capacity to produce vaccines, which, you know, in, in theory I'm all for, you know, but I'm like, okay, in practice, I, I, I think that the likely effect if we insist too much on that, those sort of plans, however, you know, sensible they may be, in theory is that it's just going to further fuel the hysteria. And I think we've reached a point where, you know, really the most important thing is that we say, stop, you know, like we have to, we have to realize that, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is here to stay. You know, I've, I've written something about this too for CSPI. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. There will always be new variants. Yeah. Okay. Some of them will be worse than the previous ones. Uh, there will be people will keep dying for this, but it won't just, it won't be as bad as before, you know, like because the population won't be immunologically naive anymore. And at some point we have to stop because if we continue on this, you know, path and like, uh, like surveilling, you know, and freaking out every time there is a new variant and, you know, putting everything on hold, it's, it's just never going to happen. Because, you know, as I said on Twitter, it's like, you can't, you can't win a race when there is no finish line and there is no finish yeah. line here. It's always gonna stay with yeah. us, you know. And well, so, South um, Africa
0: discovered the uh, the uh, the Omi- how do you pronounce it Omicron, right? Omicron, yeah. Omicron, uh, they, they they and so some people were so then there was a uh, shutdowns, uh, there was a shutdown to travel between Western countries and South Africa and some other nations in Africa, and some people were like, oh no, you're punishing these countries for having good surveillance, and I you know and I I tweeted the other day, well like maybe yes, we certainly. should, maybe it's good because like we don't want to discover new variants because we're gonna yeah to it's, to over- like, it's
1: like so it's it's definitely unfair to South Africa because yeah, you know they so did, did the, the right thing etc like, but maybe you know maybe what we need is that maybe we need, maybe we should thank our leaders for being so stupid and doing that. Because like, as you say, you know, it will maybe create the incentives for other countries to no longer do this kind of genomic surveillance. So we can just stop like obsessing over this stuff, because this is the only way it's ever going to stop is if we do this, you know, another point I made is that I don't think people realize this, you know, again, you know, it, it was different at first because the population was immunologically naive to the virus, which means that nobody had the had specific immunity to it because they had never been, ex- it was novel, you know, uh, nobody had, had been exposed to it. And, uh, but you know, now if the vaccines and infections and natural infections, uh, it's different, you know, most people have some kind of immunity against it. And so it doesn't do as much damage. And well, one point I made to is that, look, uh, even in the worst, what I consider the worst case scenario, which is. That from now on, from now on, in, in a country like France, you know, a country of like 67 million uh, people, uh, it kills 50,000 people a year. To be clear, I don't believe for a second this is going to happen. Like this, this, uh, this would mean like much larger waves all the time than than, than seems plausible based even on what o- is already happening right now. But um, but even if you if you make this assumption, what it would mean basically. Is that if you look, if you take the the previous trends of mortality reduction, it would just take, it would just mean that we lose like, I don't know, between 5 and 15 years worth of mortality reduction at previous trends. It's okay, it sucks, you know, I agree, it's, it's very unfortunate but it's not the end of the world. You know, it's like, we're still
0: go back to like 2010 life expectancy in a Western country. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and and then it's, and then when you get back, we're going to stay on the same trend, you know, it's going to, it's going to keep going back, you know, uh, uh, go going down. You know, so, so, you know, the point I make is like, look, I, I agree. I'm not, you know, COVID deniers people. I mean, I don't like this expression because people use it for everything, you know, but like including stuff that is perfectly sensible, but, uh, uh But I'm not, you know, I'm not denying that this thing has had a real impact on mortality and like, and, and that it's going to keep killing people. You know, I'm not one of those people who think that it's going to magically disappear for some reason, you know, uh, but, but, you know, you have to get a grip basically and like get a sense of realities here. We're not talking about the black death, you know, that's going to keep coming back for like centuries and, and like, you know, carry off, you know, one third of the population yeah. or wearing. So, yes. let's, let's talking
0: directly about uh, Omicron. So we're recording this on uh, November uh, twenty-one. You um, you're going to publish, uh, I think, soon the uh, piece on the the reaction to this this new variant. Um, I don't know if it's it might, may or may not be out by the time uh, people listen to this. But you know, what have you seen so far? And I, I think that you know, what I've seen the reaction, I've seen the discovery of this uh, variant uh, seems to sort of. I mean, I think you, I think you called exactly what would happen. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I, I wrote this post on uh, Delta's transmissibility advantage and I, I explained on this post that I made some conceptual distinction and to explain how people were, what people are doing, how they were doing, how they were estimating the transmissibility advantage of, of those new variants. And, and I, you know, I explained that, um, if you're using this methodology, uh, Every time there is a new variant that's like taking over, uh, just because of the way it works, you know, people can read that post. Uh, it's called, I think it's called, uh, "Is Delta really more than twice as transmissible as the original strain?" I mean, you can mm. find it on on CSPIO's website. Mm. Uh, and uh, if if you use this methodology, every time there's a new variant, just because of the way this methodology works, automatically you're going to infer. That, uh, the variant, the new variant is like X times more transmissible than the previous one, which means that it's going to be even more, more transmissible than the original strain. And I made this joke, which wasn't just a joke. You know, it was, it was literally, I was explaining what was going to happen if they keep using this, that method, because that was the logical, uh, conclusion is that eventually I said there would be, there would be a, an omega variant. Uh, and people and, you know, epidemiologists will, will conclude using that same methodology that it does a basic reproduction number of 125, at which point, you know, will dawn on them that maybe this methodology is not particularly reliable. And we're here, you know, we're we're here now because they've looked at the, so the way this methodology works, basically, they look at the growth rates of the new variants and compare it to the growth rate of the old variants. And, you know, uh, of course, if the new variant is taking over, it has a much higher growth rate. So, if you use this difference in growth rate to estimate a transmissibility advantage, uh, you're going to conclude that it's much more transmissible than the previous one, which itself, for the same reason, you had concluded was much more transmissible than the previous one, which itself was much more transmissible than the original strain. All the way, you go back to the original strain, and you end up with the it just compounds basically. Yeah. So, if you use this methodology, eventually you're going to find like ridiculous conclusion like the one I was making up, but no, it's happening. You know, no, they're yeah. saying stuff that implies that uh, Omicron is like, as a basic reproduction number of something like 45, you know. So that means that, uh, in a an entirely susceptible population, on average, a person who is infect- infected by this variant is going to infect 45 other people, which of course is complete lunacy. It's not, you yeah. know, and they know it. No, no, you know, they're not going to say this. You know, they know that this is ludicrous. We've reached uh, the point where, We've reached high enough numbers and even they, even the epidemiologists are going to be like, no, okay, we're not going to, you know, of course this is not true. So it has to be immune escape or, well, at least some of them, you know, like some. What about the
0: headlines? I mean, the the, the US, I mean, the the reaction has not been as bad as I thought. I mean, I I haven't heard of major municipalities or states uh, enacting new restrictions. Biden said, now everyone, if you're crowded indoors, wear a mask, but he just said that nothing has happened. Thankfully so far, this could change, you know. At any moment, uh, what, what do you think of those headlines? Have you looked into this, the claims that they say, you know, it has all these mutations, like four mutations or yeah. 10 mutations? I don't remember the number.
1: It seems to me, I mean, w- on the transmissibility front, you know, I think the same as before, you know, people are using this very flawed methodology. And so you can't really draw any conclusion about the transmissibility from the kind of data they're using. Yeah. It was true before. It was already true. How do think it's that
0: mutation, the, the number of mutations? Like, what no, the, they- the,
1: mutation, the mutations. Uh, so this is interesting. I think it's true that, uh, you know, what they found basically is that this stuff has a lot of mutation, which is weird, you know, like it, it probably either seems that either it must have been like uh, evolving in some place where there is no genomic surveillance. Like, so, you know, some African country, probably uh, north of South Africa, where you know, there was no genomic surveillance, so it had it had had plenty of time. You know, it doesn't descend from Delta too, so it descend from a, a much earlier uh, lineage of the virus. Mm-hmm. So basically, one possibility is that it evolved. You know, separately, it accumulated all those mutations uh, undercover. You know, nobody noticed it because there was and no. The, you know, it was in a country. That would, and then you know, eventually, it reached South Africa, and then it was picked up. Or another possibility is that it, some guy, you know who was, immune, you know, was battling with the virus for a very, very long time. So that gave the virus to accumulate those mutations in this guy. And then he infected someone else uh, with it. And then, you know, it, 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 so what is true is that there are some good reasons based on the mutations to think that this variant is going to be more transmissible and better able, even more so, even more importantly, better able, which is different, better able to uh, uh, escape prior immunity because basically it has lots of mutation on the spike and we know that antibodies really like to target the spike. And so uh, you can use those computational models and to predict how well they're going to be able to bind. And, you know, it's not perfect. And I, I I mean, I don't know this literature very well, but I've I've read a little for uh, the stuff I wrote on, on uh, the endemic transition. And so, you know, but it's still, it's, it tells you something and it seems that, uh, it looks as though, you know, antibodies are going to have a harder time, uh, binding to this, the spike of this variant. And so this suggests that it will be better able to evade, uh, prior immunity. No, I think that it will mostly be, it will mostly weaken protection against infection and it will still be well protected against severe disease because, you know, antibodies are not, as I explained in that post, it's not the only thing, uh, that our immune system, the only weapon that our immune system has to fight off uh, infection. But, you know, it's kind of like one of the first line, one of the first lines of defense. So it means that probably will be easier for even people who have been vaccinated or infected before to be infected again by these variants, although Mm. they should still be protected by against severe disease. But, you know, it's very early to say we we basically have no data at this point. You know, I've heard this. People are quoting this uh, uh, medical official in South Africa saying that it was, Uh, Apparently she's been only, also she's been quoted out of context, but even if she hadn't been, you know, like, I I don't even believe, I don't believe that even the South Africans have enough data to, to really know anything about how virulent this strain is. So maybe we're going to be lucky and it's actually pretty mild and that would be perfect because that would be the combination, you know, if it's also very good at, uh, evading immunity and, or very transmissible, that would be the perfect combination because, it would quickly replace the other strengths, but would be relatively mild compared to them. And yeah, so that's one
0: explanation probably, as to why it went undetected, right? The people are not getting that. That's, yeah,
1: that's yeah, that's that's one possibility. But you know, I think really we don't know. Uh, I think you know there is no point in freaking out about this because if it's really more transmissible and or you know so good as, as at evading uh, 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 prior immunity, it will be everywhere soon. And there's nothing we can do about it, so you know, uh, there's no point in freaking out. But you know, and again, we have very good reasons to think that we'll still be protected against severe disease, even with this variant. So people should just chill out and stop, you know, freaking out. Yeah, best Uh, advice.
0: I mean, is if you're, yeah, yeah. Best advice is still get vaccinated, and then
1: yeah, the same, the same, yeah, the same advice. If
0: you're young, probably get a booster, but it doesn't matter. And that's that's all. That's that's been the TLDR. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah vaccines are good, and everything else is is really not not necessary, and you're wasting yeah. you're wasting your life. Yeah, I think that yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's sad, it's sad. I, I think I hope you know, it's like you have to just you just have to have the politics to have the attitude of like, I'm not going to listen to these experts. It's like, you know, it's like, it's nice that we sit here and we say, you know, they need to have better science and, you know, we can do this for intellectual reasons. We're providing a a service. We're providing knowledge to people who care enough to look about, to look at data, but in the real world, you know, I'm afraid they're just going to keep freaking out forever. And all you can do is just have political resistance to it. And, and, and that's, and that's it. Um, you know, every time we talk about this, we talk about sort of the the politics of and, uh, what's going on. So, what's going on in uh, France now? Are you guys? What are what are the restrictions? How is how is life? Yeah, still
1: um, so now, uh, we you know we have this uh, vaccine passport. We we already had it, you know, but now everyone is going to have to have a, a, a third dose in order for to validate this for for this thing to stay uh, valid, you know. So uh-huh. otherwise, you can't you can't go to you. you basically, you're. Is it a QR oh, yes. code?
0: Where, where do you show it? you show it everywhere? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a, QR, it's a QR code. And, you know, if you don't have it, you can't go to a restaurant. You can go to a gym. You can you, you basically almost... You can't go to a cinema. You you basically can't have a normal social life. Groceries? Uh, you
0: can go to groceries?
1: No, you can go to groceries. That's the, one of the few places where they don't, they don't uh-huh. ask. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think this stuff is ridiculous. I mean, I think, you know, at this point, most people have been vaccinated. You just, like, let it go. You know, if people, some people want to be want to, uh, uh, risk, you know, getting ill because they don't want to take a vaccine, whatever, you know, like, I mean, you know, I, we need to stop, you know, and you know, that's not the only thing, you know, we are, uh, we're bringing back, you know, I, I mean, uh, masks were already mandatory, almost everywhere indoors, but there were some places where there was like, uh, some, uh, um, leniency or, you know, some place where even it was removed, you know, it's like, so at school, you know, primary schools, um, like in some departments, you know, about half of them until recently, uh, kids didn't have to wear masks.
0: No, they're bringing them back everywhere. Perfect. So France um, still had mask mandates for indoor, indoors. Uh, we, and public. we had
1: them. We yeah. had them in some in some uh, primary schools in some departments where you know the incidence was above a certain level. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, and you know, in uh, I guess Frozen, in the US, you would call that oh, junior high so right school. Now, so
0: right now in Paris, uh, do you have to wear? You have to wear a mask if you go somewhere in, uh, in public.
1: Uh, not not outdoors, but they said that they were not ruling out doing it again outdoors, which if they do, I mean, no, I was already not like wearing a mask outdoors. I will never w- wear a mask outdoors yeah. again.
0: How is the enforcement? If you go to the grocery store, like I go to the grocery store here in LA County, I'm often the only one, or maybe there'll be one or two or three other people. And most stores, except Target, Target bothers me. But everyone else, um, they usually, and, and, they, and uh, anywhere that's owned by uh, uh, Asian immigrants, but basically, everywhere else, like they don't say anything to me. Um, in, it,
1: so in, in France, it, it depends where you are in France. In Paris, it's definitely enforced in supermarkets, for instance. Uh-huh. Uh, in the gym, for instance, I was telling you. So in the gym, I wasn't wearing it. You know, it's 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 this gym story. It really illustrates how crazy we have become. You know, yeah. like in theory, the rule was that when you're not using a machine. So either when you're coming in the gym or coming out or moving in bet- between machines, you were supposed to wear a mask, uh-huh. but not when you're on the machine, which of course uh-huh. is ridiculous. You're in a room full of dozens of people who oh, are sweating machine. and breathing hard for hours. Yeah. So you're basically, if some of them are infected, you're swimming in virus. Yeah. You're literally swimming in virus and you don't have a mask for most of the time you're there. But the 1% of the time when you're, that you're not on a machine, you're supposed to put a mask on, which is going to have zero effect, you know, yeah, you know, if someone was infected before, but and and before you know before this omic omicron like scare and the uh, it's not just. Wait, the, wait, wait, what about
0: you when know? you're weightlifting? Yeah, the, just the machine. You have to. You can't. You don't have to wear. No, it no, you, you
1: don't have when you're using a machine. You or you know even you weightlifting. No, oh, I mean. yeah, no, no. When you're exercising, basically, you don't have to wear a mask. Okay. Uh and, and uh, I mean I don't lift weights, so I just I only use the elliptical. That's why <laughs> I talk should. about the machines, Uh and. Um, but uh, yeah, you don't have, you don't have when you're exercising, but you don't have to, to wear yeah. one. And before, before recently, before the recent, you know, government's announcement where, you know, they, they made several announcements, like they brought back the mask in a number of settings. Uh, and they, people, uh, but
0: people, but people in the gym, I'm still interested. People, so I found a gym here in LA County where they don't make you wear a mask and nobody wears a mask. And I feel very, very lucky to have, to have this gym. Um, and so uh, so how did so they enforce it will they will because I think, so, I think in the so, US I think people who own gyms tend to be a little more right wing and I don't know so, if you have the political so, polarization uh, 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 until until a few
1: until a few days ago, you know when the government made this new those new announcements because of the wave that's growing here and now with the Omicron stuff uh, omicron stuff um, uh, it was the rule, but it was absolutely not enforced. but I mm. would say that um, two thirds of people, which you know, which is much uh, less than in the subway, because in the subway everyone wears a mask. I mean, because you're in part because they're scared of wearing a uh, of getting a fine, but that's not the only reason. For reasons I'll I'll mention later. Uh, but at the gym, I'd say about two-thirds of people were wearing, wearing a mask when they were not exercising anyway. Uh-huh. But you know, like I wasn't doing it, and there was I would say there was a good third of people who weren't doing it, and they weren't enforcing it. But now since the I don't think this will last, to be honest, but at yeah, least
0: like a, few a,
1: as of a few days ago, after the government's new <laughs> announcements, like I, I, you know, I came in without a mask as usual. And the guy, you know, at the, <laughs> the guy at the entrance was like, Oh yeah, you no, know, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to ask you to wear a mask when you're not exercising now because you know, we're afraid basically what he explained to me. So it was like, he agreed that it was ridiculous, Yeah. but he explained to me that, they were afraid that there would be an inspection from the government and they'd get fined or closed if, if they didn't enforce it. So, but I, you know, m- my prediction is that uh, pretty quickly, at least after the big wave is, is falling, you know, pretty people will just like stop, but you know, we'll stop, you know, worrying and they will stop enforcing it. But my worry is that if it keeps, if the wave keeps growing, I worry that f- the French government is going to do the same thing as ma- many European governments are already doing. Uh Which is bring back the heavy restrictions, you know, like uh, curfew, lockdown, all that stuff. And you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow a fuse if
0: they do this. (laughs) Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked when Austria went into lockdown. I think one other country, either Slovakia or Slovenia, one of them, I think, uh, also went into lockdown too. Yeah,
1: Slovakia just did it. I think Uh, in the Netherlands looks like they're they're gonna do it. Uh, I mean, they've Mm -hmm. already brought back some restrictions. Uh, in in uh, in the UK, in the, in the UK, that had been pretty good, you know. They said we're going to stop this stuff, you know, and uh, and they had uh, uh, they had actually done it, you know. Even though they they have they just, brought back, like, they
0: just, they just brought back masks. Yeah, that's what they did.
1: Bad. That's what I was going to say, you know. But for four months, they had very high incidence. and yet they didn't cave, you know. They didn't bring back any of the restrictions, including masks. And now they just did it, you know. So everybody's caving in the end. Denmark, they had said the government had said. Oh, we're, uh, you know, this is the end. We declared the pandemic is over. We're not going to use restrictions again, blah, blah. But they brought them back again, you know, like, so, you know, in the end, they just have no, there's just like so much pressure from like the media and and the doctors that you see on television and the radio all the time, you know, saying stupid stuff, you know, like the same nonsense that because they're, I I should probably not talk about doctors because,
0: then I'm... <laughs> you'll lose, you'll lose it. it. No, it's, it's, it's depressing. Really yeah, I think this is... Yeah, I think this is the most... Wor- I mean, the COVID COVID pandemic has been a uh, tragedy, but the reaction to it, I mean, has also been a, a tragedy. It's been the greatest... Politi- you know, this, this was the greatest health tragedy of uh, our lifetimes. I think the reaction to it has been easily the greatest yeah, yeah. political I mean, you, and social...
1: You, you said something in the post that I think was very true, you know, that that is also shocking me like it's something you you published recently i think where you were like it's kind of crazy when you see the reaction you see the things we do all those pointless rituals that we go through like this mask stuff at the gym you know which is completely pointless you know like or even worse the the outdoor masking stuff that you know honestly i i think might come back in france soon uh because you know, that's never left right here up.
0: in Los Angeles. You see, you see these idiots with oh. their kids, yeah, covered in masks, walking around, for so, you know, blocks you, and blocks.
1: See, and, and the, point, the point, you were making is, is something like you know, I don't remember the exact wording, but that was the idea. I said something similar on Twitter. It's like, like if, if you had told me two years ago that, that we would do this, you know, I was, I would never have believed it. I would never have believed it. It's so insane, you recently, I was reading Cal Happer's uh, the the Fate of Rome which is yeah. you know his great book on uh, the end the fall of the Roman empire and specifically it's about the roles of pandemics and and climate change uh, in the end in the fall of the Roman empire
0: yeah.
1: and and you know it's really funny because there is this moment where he cites this uh uh old ancient author i don't remember which one it is was like was making fun of people who were like putting some magical formula on their doors to keep the the, of course they didn't know it was a virus at the time, you know, but basically to keep the the plague out as they would mm-hmm. say at the time. Uh, and of course the guy was, ju- the, it was amusing the, the the author in question, but it was like, you know, and some people say that the people who put the formula on their door actually uh, were more likely to die from the plague than the others, you know, so he was making fun of them of all, they have all those ridiculous, you know, it describes all those um, offerings they make to, to the gods, you know, to Apollo in particular uh, to implore them, to spare them. And like, and, you know, and I know that if I, I, I read that like uh, yeah. two weeks ago and I was like, I, I, I read that stuff and I was like, if I know that if i had read that three years ago, I, my reaction would have been, oh, those guys were so stupid. You know? yeah. they were, Look how irrational their reaction was. And now I see what we're doing. And honestly, it's just like, it's the same thing. You know, of course, we don't sacrifice chickens anymore because, you know, that's not the yeah. Uh, fashionable among the sophisticates anymore, but we do stuff that's very similar, like this mask outdoor stuff, you know, uh, and, you know, really y- you see how in many ways we haven't really changed, you know, and we in, in, and haven't really improved yeah. in particular. And, we, and now, like, we,
0: now we think we've improved. That's the thing. We think that, you know, whatever yeah. the leaders are saying, you know, Fauci, you know, you attack me, you, you attack science, he said the other yeah, day. Yeah we you know we've gotten the hubris of science you know of scientific people without getting sort of any of the or very little of the knowledge. And you know there's good th- I mean the, the development of the vaccines, you know it's funny because it's uh, you we know, should maybe this is a bigger conversation, but you know the, the development of vaccines is just a triumph of a few companies and science and technology and markets. Anything more complicated that requires government like government, yeah, supported the vaccine. Okay, that's like a no-brainer, right? But anything beyond that, anything that requires a little bit of, you know, smart leadership or like intelligence on the part of a larger society, everything everything like that has been an absolute failure. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think obviously we're not, I was saying, you know, we we haven't changed. Of course we have changed, like, you know, they, they wouldn't have been able to develop a vaccine, you know, in the yeah, in course. the second century AD. Uh, so of course we have changed in that sense. But my point was like, yeah, there are many things that haven't changed. And and uh, and yeah, you know, what you were saying is exactly right. Like, you know, we think we're much better, not just because of the vaccine. You know, if we thought we we're much better because of the vaccine, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Because, you know, that is the one thing that makes us much better. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, they think they're much better because we we listen to the advice of like nonsensical papers, you know, that yeah. claim that, you know, the lockdown as like reduced transmission by 70%. But really what they do is what I described before, you know, it's voodoo magic, you know, it's yeah. voodoo magic for the, the Isle of science crowd, as I once wrote in a, in a piece on, on, on one of those papers, you know, just like, that's exactly what it is, you know, and people have this, it even has its heroes, you know, like, like Fauci that we're mentioning, when there's this kind of cult that's developing uh, around this guy, you know, on the liberal side, you know, or like worship him as if he were like, you know, sometimes it feels like it's like God, like talking, giving Moses the the Tables of the Law on Mount Sinai, yeah. and then you have like the opposite nonsense, you know, from uh, on the conservative side where they're gonna, you know, they're gonna put everything on Fauci. It's gonna become this kind of like, and you know, I don't like Fochi, I, I think yeah. I think he's terrible. I'm not even saying that to defend him. I'm just saying, you know, it's just one guy who, of course, has had a an important role, but really was just reflecting the 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 dominant that's, that's opinion that's among it. like. Public health expert, which was nonsense, but he wasn't special in that way. It's not as if you know you could have you could have replaced Fauci by any number of those guys; it would have been the same. They're clones, you know. Yeah. And but you know when you listen to like the conservative discourse, it's like, is this kind of di- special evil? You know, as if he were somehow different yeah. from the
0: others. I mean, that's it's not the, that's not even the worst of. I mean, the conservative. Uh, yeah, no, the, stuff, I mean, the vaccine. The, stuff. Yeah, I mean you have the the vaccine stuff, but you also have I mean just the the analysis. I mean the analysis when you look at conserv- some of the conservative analysis. I mean if these people had power, they would be scary, but they would be maybe less scary because you know letting you know depends if the if the if COVID was 20 times worse and say conservatives were the same and liberals were the same where conservatives said, don't worry about it. The liberals were freaking out. Uh, maybe the conservatives would be the greater evil because then we'd actually have to do a lot. Uh, yeah. but now, yeah, I, know. Yeah. I, I,
1: I, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think that. uh, Right now, I would much prefer to be governed by the conservatives because even though they would do it for the wrong reasons, they would still be doing the right thing, or at least they'd be doing something that's okay. much closer to the right thing yeah. than what the liberals are doing. But, you know, it's not that's not because they're smarter, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but whatever. I don't care about this. I care about outcomes, you know, yeah. first and foremost. And, and right now, the outcome I really want is for us to move on, you know, and stop mm. obsessing over this stuff. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm more likely to get with them than with the others, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think this, so this is a fast moving situation. I mean, by the time people listen to this, it'll probably be, uh, there'll be new political developments, although we probably won't know, uh, much And Maybe more.
1: Omega <laughs> will have arrived by then.
0: <laughs> people will <have> go <laughs> on Yeah. The next few days. So, uh, yeah. Um, do you want to, uh, You know, do you wanna talk about what you're working on now or do you wanna just save it and surprise people when it comes out? I think we should save Let's
1: let's let's save it. Let's save it. We can we can talk again,
0: uh, yeah. Okay, we'll talk talk. again before long. Okay, Philippe, been great talking to you.
1: Yeah, you too.